Hello and welcome to Real Men Feel. I am your host, author, coach, and healer, Andy Grant. Real Men Feel is here to remind you that men are human beings and they have the right, the need, and the desire to express all of their emotions. You can learn more about how I help people do that by visiting theandygrant.com. Today is the first show of 2022 with a guest. And there really is only one man I could invite to, uh, to live up to that lofty expectation after going so long without any guests at all. And that man is Dr. Jed Diamond. Dr. Diamond is one of the world's leading experts in gender medicine and men's health. He has written 16 books, including international bestsellers, Surviving Male Menopause and The Irritable Male Syndrome. He is a licensed psychotherapist with a PhD in international health and a master's degree in social work. His passion is helping men and women do four things live a fully authentic life, love deeply and well, make a positive difference in the world, and offer hope and guidance in these times of challenge and transformation. For more than 50 years, Jed has been a pioneer in gender-specific medicine, healing trauma, and men's health. To me, most importantly than all of those wonderful things, Jed is a teacher, mentor, and a friend of mine. And I am thrilled to be connecting with you once again, Jed. Uh, welcome back to Real Men Feel. Thank you, Andy. It's uh, a pleasure to be with you always. And uh, in these always challenging times, it's good to have a brotherly connection and to be able to be exploring these important issues together. Now, you, I'll start right there. You said always challenging times. So I've certainly seen more and more people and experienced myself, uh, especially challenging times, but is is challenge constant? Well, the way I'm thinking of it when I said that is uh, change is constant, certainly. Uh, <laughs> things always change. That's the nature of life. But what I'm referring to is something really more specific, which is the reality that the, uh, the challenges we face as uh, a human group of peoples on the planet of the earth uh, is getting more and more problematic for, I think, humanity. The problems we face with climate change are one indicator of the imbalance that we have, uh, the fires that are going on where I'm in California, the constant uh, every summer we have more uh, danger and so on. So what I'm really talking about is that the the stress levels, uh, if you will, of of all of us are increasing, mm -hmm. and it's not all the time, but I think we all feel that things are heating up, things are increasingly stressful, and we handle them in different ways. But I think we we have to acknowledge things are difficult these days. Mm -hmm. yeah, I agree. Um... So I know you have kind of a, a personal moonshot, a new moonshot mission you're working on. So can you tell me what the purpose of that is? Well, it specifically, it's to uh, look at uh, a reality that uh, a couple of researchers actually addressed. And it's so something I think we all feel, but they addressed it specifically. And uh, uh, one of the colleagues was Randolph Nessie is an MD and, uh, his, his colleague, uh, uh, Dr. Kruger, and they looked at uh, the, the health and longevity of people in 20 different countries throughout the world. 
And what they found in every country uh, as a group, men live sicker, they got diseases at higher rates than females, and they died sooner, their lifespan was shorter. And I think that was something we all kind of intuitively knew, but they 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 gathered the data that that indicated that. And they came out with then some very specific uh, responses and and implications of that reality. The first one was that when you look at risk factors for disease and early death, all the things that might predispose us, they said, the number one risk factor is simply being male. If you just knew nothing else about somebody that was sick or you know would die early, just that being male was the number one risk factor, that was startling. Their other conclusion that really stood out to me was that they said that if we could simply help men live as healthy and long as women as a group, we would save 375,000 men's lives a year in the United States alone. Just think about 375,000 fathers, husbands, brothers, all the relationships that we have, 375,000 a year in the United States alone. And they're finding that men live sicker and die sooner in every other country of the world. Yeah. So I knew the mortality rate was different in the U.S. I didn't. And I, I guess I attributed it to the way we eat and, and work and live and stress out. But so every country they looked at, the same thing is happening. Exactly. Well, there are countries where, as a group, we're not as healthy as other countries. As the United States is not as healthy and long-lived as some other countries. Oh. But in every country whatever, whether they're longer lived or, or not as long lived, healthier or less, the discrepancy between the males in that country and the females of that country are such that the males of as a group live, get sicker more soon, you know, sooner and die sooner than the women. So that mm -hmm. seems to be universal. And as you know, at Men Alive, I've been trying in my own way to help the men that come to me to write books and all the things you mentioned. Mm -hmm. But last November, I decided that we needed to do more if we were really going to make a difference. And when I started doing men's work back, you know, 50, more than 50 years ago, there weren't very many programs or organizations that were really focused on men's health. Now there are a lot of them. So the moonshot idea is if we could bring together hundreds, thousands of individuals and millions of individual men and women, along with all the good work organizationally that people like you and your organization are doing and many others, we could really collectively, maybe not each one of us working separately, but if we could join forces, if we could become a support system, a community, a movement that we could really make a difference, not only improve the health of men, decrease the suicide rates, which we know is higher for men than for women. Violence rates are higher for men than for women. We suffer all kinds of you know, heart disease and cancer. Every, the top 10 leading cause of disease, higher for males than for females. We could really make a difference. So the moonshot really is uh, a group of us now that have come together to to initiate 
uh, a whole series of engagements, probably starting uh, this year in November, uh, to bring together the group that we have to reach out to kind of the next group of people that are interested in this field, who want to join it, who want to help, and then to have that spread hopefully throughout the world to uh, the idea of a moonshot uh, came from the Google X, which was in, in the Google world. The, they called it their moonshot factory. And that was where they looked at major problems in the world. And they said, how can we not only make a, a small difference, a 10% a improvement in some major problem, but how could we make an exponential difference? How could we get a 10 times effect of improvement rather than just a 10% improvement. That was their, their, they called it their moonshot factory. So I thought this would require that kind of endeavor, a moonshot endeavor, whether it's taking somebody to the moon or a 10 times improvement in men's mental health, and then maybe a hundred times until we can gather enough momentum to have men and women together living long, healthy lives. You, uh, I think it was last year that you had a really provocatively titled article uh, saying that healing men would do more good than curing cancer. So is that related to that 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 staggering number of if if male and female mortality was just the same if man if the male mortality rate rose up to the female as opposed to vice versa that over three hundred seventy five thousand lives would be saved in the U.S. alone? Is that where that that cancer metaphor is from? Well, it actually came from that study. That that quote was from the actual researchers. They said, among other things, in addition to the lives that would be saved, they said, if if we could do that, you would do more good in the world than curing cancer. So it was, uh, you know, that same idea that this is the kind of change that could make a huge difference. And I think what's more important for those of us that have been working in the field of men's health and men's mental health for these years, this is doable. I mean, we know now what we can do to help men live healthily and have our, our minds in tune and our relationships healthy. We know there's a lot of programs that are doing this. So it's not like, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago where we we were kind of in the dark. We we wanted to help, but we didn't know what to do. Now we know what to do. We just need the, I think, concerted effort, the commitment, the belief, because so many people have become disillusioned. They feel hopeless. They feel helpless. They feel like the world's just going to, to hell in a handbasket and there's not much we can do. And people even feel, well, maybe not only, maybe I'm not worth anything. Maybe I ought to just check out. I'm not of value to my family or community, but maybe humanity is just ought to step aside and yeah. And like let we, gave, the rest we gave it our best the, shot, throwing the towel, kind of exactly. Thing. And and I, I'm not ready to, to give in. I think uh, there's a lot that humanity can yet do for good, not only for ourselves, but for you know the rest of the community of life on planet Earth. Hmm. And we'll make it clear that you're not talking about just extending the lives of men so they can be miserable and lonely and depressed for another decade of on earth it's really that men can improve their mental emotional spiritual health and enjoy living and want to live longer exactly right 
Right. You know, nobody wants to live long miserably, yeah. you know, extend my miserable life. Uh, although I think that's part of the disheartening depression that's not just individual, but collective in our in our society that, you know, what's the use? And particularly in men. I mean, there's a reason why the suicide rate for males who are 65 and, and older skyrockets compared to females. I mean, females get old too, and they have all the, you know, disabilities that males have. But as a group, males 65 and older uh, commit suicide at rates six times higher than females of the same age. So there's something about us guys that feel a sense of, of hopelessness at a certain stage. So that's the thing, not only to live longer, but to feel invigorated by life. I, I turned 78 uh, earlier this year, and and I, I, I feel this is kind of the most exciting time to be alive. And this, these are challenging times, but we're up for challenge. I mean, challenge is good and working together. This can be fun. It can be engaging. It can be, you know, something we can pass on to our children, grandchildren, and future generations. And, you know, what what could be more fun than making the, the world better place for all of us to live in? Yeah, I, I love your vitality and optimism and energy about this whole thing. Um, but what makes being male so deadly? Well, there's a number of things. Uh, there's a small percentage, they, the researchers say maybe 10%, has to do with genetics, has to do with the, the fact that uh, we males, we know genetically we have every cell, 10 trillion cells in our body, they tell us. I haven't counted them all, but I'll trust the researchers to tell me that. And every cell has you know, chromosomes. And one of those chromosomes, one of the pairs is uh, the sex chromosomes, they call them X and Y. If you have an X and a Y, you're male. You and me, we got an X and a Y. If it's a female we're talking to, a female has in every 10 trillion cells of her body, she has two Xs. And the recent research on, on genetics indicates that having two Xs of those chromosome pairs gives some a genetic advantage that females live longer because there are genes on the X that uh, if you've got two pairs, if one of them isn't working, the other can fill in. But if you only have one and you have the small other Y chromosome that doesn't have as many uh, you know, uh, genes on it, that women then have more protection. So that's that makes males biologically perhaps more vulnerable. The good news is two things. One is that we know even our genes are not our destiny, that we used to think that whatever genetic benefit or disadvantage you had, it was, it was you're stuck with it, it's built in. But now we know in this emerging field of what's called epigenetics, that our gene expression can get modified by our attitudes, our beliefs, our, our practices. So that even the genetic thing can, can be modified. Beyond that, a lot of the reason men die sooner and live sicker is our behaviors, how we eat, you know, how we, how we relate to people, why so many men feel lonely and don't have the social connections that, that women do, you know, why we uh, feel that 
if we don't work and we don't have a job and we're not you know, successful in the business world that somehow we're not useful or valuable. Mm -hmm. There's a whole set of things that we've, you know, we, we know very well uh, that if we change those, and many of us have, it obviously isn't all men that are dying sooner. Some men live, like my father lived to, to 90, and my mother died at 80. Well, he, he changed. One of the things he changed is he stopped smoking sooner than she did. He changed his eating patterns. He was less stressed. He spent more social time than, than my mother did. So these changes are there to be had, and we just need to know about them. And then to have the support, which I think is the key. You know, if a whole group of guys are eating better, or a whole community of men are relating and, and spending more time in social connection, that positivity spreads. If we're isolated, if we're just doing our own thing, the the negativity, the the downward spiral happens. So that's I think the hope that we we have to change the patterns that have beset men for so many years. And we, we may not be able to get men and women to live exactly the same number of years together, but we can certainly improve things a great deal and maybe even help women live longer, healthier lives as well. We've mm -hmm. certainly improved our general health over the last, uh, you know, 50, 100, 200 years. We can do even better for all of us, including us guys. Mm -hmm. So most of the behaviors, the, the the eating and the healthy, the exercise, so much of that, I don't think there are many men that can say, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize eating better would help me, you know? So what do you think keeps... What, what keeps us from doing the right thing? What keeps us from wanting to make the changes that would uh, actually make us feel better? Well, I think there's a number of things. I think, uh, you know, one is the, the social context in which many of us believe is associated with being male. So, for instance, I grew up uh, in, in Southern California in the 1950s. And one of the, the beliefs was that in order to really be manly, you had to eat meat, you know, beef particularly. And so most of the neighbors, uh, you know, bought, if you could afford it, uh, you know, hamburgers, chops, steaks. And my mother, after my father left, uh, you know, he had a, what was called at the time, a nervous breakdown um, and uh, ended up in a mental hospital. So I was raised uh, by a single mom. And one of the beliefs that she had was, well, my my boy needs meat, you know, to, and so with the advertising of the time, which was you'd get a freezer. I still remember you get they they you buy a freezer and then you'd sign up for these regular meat deliveries, and you'd get packaged steaks and chops and hamburgers and you know all kinds of meat. Well. She thought that would make me more manly. And so I literally ate meat three times a day. I had, a, I still remember, hamburger and rice and applesauce usually for breakfast. That was the breakfast. It was quick. Also, since she was had to go to work after my dad left, she had to do stuff fast and quick, fast food, defrost a you know, hamburger, put it in the, you know, the oven, and boom, you got, you got breakfast a chop for lunch and a steak for dinner. 
So that's an example of that regimen of eating that's associated with maleness or manliness is not healthy. There's a lot of other practices like working hard and not getting enough sleep and we don't need it because we're men. We can, we can tough it out. I don't need, you know, it's not good for us. So a lot of the beliefs we have about what it means to be manly, what it means to be a man are toxic. You know, the beliefs are toxic and not the masculinity is not toxic, but the beliefs about some aspects of manhood are toxic and those can change. So we change those beliefs, we change those practices and uh, we we start living longer, healthier lives. Yeah, because the most some of the most limiting, distorted views of of being a man almost denies that you're human. I don't need sleep or food or people or anything. I'm a man. And like, well, no, but before we're men or women, we're we're humans. And we all need that that connection, um, that 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 meaning, that purpose, the the love and, and joy of life and all of those things that again, that stereotypical man out on the plains doesn't care about. And yeah, the Marlboro man, he smokes a cigarette, rides his horse and is a loner or, you know, what you do and what your logo says, real men feel, you know, and part of what many of us grew up was real men keep their feelings inside. Uh, if they may feel, but you don't show them, uh, you may feel, but you should only have a limited range of what you feel. So it's okay to feel angry. Maybe if you're in a certain kind of family, uh, in my family, even anger was suppressed, but you certainly don't feel sad. You don't feel scared. You don't feel anxious. You don't feel, you know, hurt. You don't feel, you know, even love and affection and nurture, you know, those are female qualities men are this way and women are that way little boys are made of sugar or little girls made of sugar and spice and everything nice where little boys are made of snips and snails and puppy dogs tails uh, you know that's what little boys are made of so there's these dichotomy that tells us there's only so much we can be and it's it, it's only part of humanity so we end up all of us, females and males being restricted and I call it the man box of what we're restricted and well there's a separate but unequal female restrictions that women have tried to break out of and that's part of the the work we all have to do together right so, I, uh, on your site earlier today I noticed an African proverb that I liked uh, it's, it's the child who is not embraced by the village will burn it down to feel its warmth so, so what does that mean to you? What does that bring to mind? Well, it's um, a number of things. It's the, the feeling that uh, we, so many of us, don't feel embraced by the village, that we feel as men, uh, either that uh, our families, we have to leave them to go off to work, and we don't feel that we have time to spend with our children, with our grandchildren. So there's that feeling. But I think in the wider society, there's a feeling that somehow uh, we are not getting the support from our communities, that men are being shortchanged. And I think women feel the same way. I, I really don't think it's just men that are feeling that way, because I think there's significant ways in which we're all being shortchanged by a society that's 
driven by by money and profits in a way rather than people. Healthcare is, you know, is an example of of a a part of the system that's really driven by profits more than health, uh, making money on you know on drugs and other things that may be less about health and about uh, how to make money for large corporations. But I think the feeling of that that loss turns in particularly for males who have testosterone, you know, the pretty young young males and older males have it too. But that anger, that rage that comes out where we feel somebody must be to blame for this, that, that it isn't me, I deserve to be cared for. And if I don't, then God damn it, I'm going to burn the house down. I'm going to burn the village down. I'm going to storm the Capitol and take it over and pull down the walls around me. There's a lot of that energy that I think why that quote, I think, is apropos of a lot of what's going on, certainly in our country and other countries throughout the world where there's this authoritarian uh, leadership cult that's going on in many parts of the world of if we can't solve our problems democratically, maybe we need a you know a heavy hand and a uh, an authoritarian personality that'll come and just kick some butt and take no prisoners and bomb the the enemies and you know and I think there's that mentality that when you strip it of its you know macho uh, authoritarian strongman ideology is really the the little wounded child in there that's so frustrated that, you know, I'm going to just burn down the village rather than feel humiliated or shamed for not getting what I know I deserve. Yeah, because there's there's an ease of going into blame mode and it's everybody else's fault uh, than taking responsibility. But but the only way things change for the better is by every individual taking responsibility for, for their own lives, for their own outlook, for their own energy and beliefs and, and everything, really. Exactly. And uh, it's it's difficult to do when it feels like there are enemies out there that are have to be pushed away. And we see it, you know, on all sides of the political spectrum, you know, we, uh, we, we feel under siege. And I think it's a, an understandable response to a complex society. I mean, things are complicated. And when things, Rebecca Costa, my colleague, Rebecca Costa, who wrote, you know, a book called The Watchman's Rattle that, that looked at the, the way in which societies reach a point of complexity and she looked at societies through history and all over the world where uh, you know from the roman empire to the Khmer empire to empires generally that part of what presages collapse is that things get so complex you can't you can't solve the problems and so there's some some things that you do when you can't solve problems you you either start blaming others you look for a scapegoat you you develop silo thinking where you're all in your own little world in your own you watch your own sports channels your own television your commentary and then you get into this we're the we're the good guys and they're the bad guys and all i need to know about you is you're not this party then you must be bad 
you know, I have to to oppose you no matter what you what your your policies are because you're bad and we're good and we got to stop you and that mentality is destructive clearly and is deadly clearly and one where we can't come together as long as we assume that there's no bridging the gap and i think it's something that is not solely but it's purely male that i think goes back to probably our ancient uh you know uh roots in in male animal behavior that we sniff out other males that may be a danger that may be a, a threat may be a competitor and we either get him before he gets us or we have to check him out are you a friend or a foe and once you're labeled as a foe then either I got to keep you under wraps or I've got to I've got to get you before you get me that's a mentality that I think needs to change and the moonshot mission that we have is not only to help men live longer better but to also bridge the the divisions mm. that are so present between groups of men and between men and women and between different parts of our culture yeah so to try to eliminate everyone being an other and create more of an us exactly right now i i know that you thought you had written your last book uh but i understand you are you're currently writing something you want to tell me about that well this is part of the in what's come out of the moonshot idea because i wanted to um recognize that uh this this quote that came out of the the Nessie and Kruger research that uh, that we could save the lives of 375,000 men a year. And so this idea of saving males, which is at least the working title of the new book, uh, Saving Males, is a worthy goal. Um, and that we need some tools. And so in the book, at least as it's as it's uh, developing, there's three chapters on the problem, uh, which we've talked some about of, you know, why men live sicker and die sooner, you know, the kind of violence that's going on, and then this kind of existential uh, threat throughout the world where we're feeling we're on the edge of collapse. That's the problem. I think we have a clear sense of the problem. So there's three chapters that, that clarify that. And then there, there are seven chapters on the solution and ways in which we can get more deeply in touch with our deep, healthy male roots, where we can learn to improve our relationships with ourselves and each other. So it's, it's in a sense, going to be the, uh, the offering uh, to this community, this movement that I'm starting will be one of many other resources that that I and others will make available uh, from podcasts like yours to other groups and organizations uh, that are working to join this this movement to help men. So my book hopefully will be a, a small but important part of that. Awesome. Uh, so, Jed, what's the best way for people listening that are interested to, to learn more about you and learn more about the mission? What's the best way for people to do that? Well, my website is is menalive.com. Just 
one word, M-E-N-A-L-I-V-E.com. And uh, if you scroll down at Men Alive, you, you can read more about the Moonshot mission. And if you're interested in uh, finding out more, there's a place you can leave us your, your name and email address, and then we will be in touch with you. People can join the mailing list. I send out a, uh, a newsletter every week where I write an article that I post uh, on my site. So there's a lot of resources that are there, and it's a good way to connect with me and can write me, email me at jed at mentalive.com. I, I read all my email and I respond to as many as I can. And so I'm uh, accessible and available uh, uh, to the degree that uh, you, you want to reach out. I'm here. Awesome. And with with 50 years of experience in, in men's health and mental health and uh, healing, I, I've got to ask, is there one habit practice program that that stands out that you would like to uh, pass on to everybody? Well, I think there's there's a couple that I, I do every day. Uh, one is I, I walk my neighborhood. Um, some of that it was originally for health when COVID was happening. I upped my 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 walking and just physical things to walk hills to improve my my lung capacity. But what I found is you walk the community uh, you, you talk to people every day, not just people, but birds and animals. The deer are out in the morning in my neighborhood. So I talk to the deer, I hear the birds. So connecting to nature, connecting to people, connecting to community. Uh, walking is, is kind of a, a, an easy, relatively easy, uh, no matter where you are, there's places you can walk, urban, rural, wherever. So if there was one thing that I would tell you I do every day, and I do other things, but walking every day and then taking time when there's a neighbor in the yard to stop and chat a little bit to actually ask how you're doing and really want to know. And there's, I'll give you just a, a little tidbit. There's a man that I met in the neighborhood who's uh, 90 years old. He's living with his daughter and, and her family. Uh, his name is Victor, and he's from Mexico. He's 90 years old, and he's always out working, doing something. He's uh, splitting wood, got a wood splitter. So I come up, and uh, you know, and he can't see very well. He is unless you're real close. So I'll call from a distance. Hey, Victor, como estas? And, and then you know, he's I can he turns and smiles. I walk up and. You know, we spent a little, just a little time chatting. How you doing? You, you staying? Hell yeah, man. Well, you know, just, and it, it makes my day. I come home feeling great. And I, every day there's probably two or three people that I'll happen to run into. He's not always out, but when he is, we have, we have an exchange. So that, that's at least one little practice that I'd recommend to anybody that, that resonates with that might want to do something like that. Awesome. Awesome. Um, th that was such a, a surprising answer and so simple and yeah, there's, there's, uh, anyone can do it. So that's fantastic. Um, uh, Jed, I really want to thank you for making the time to talk to us and, and share more about your moonshot mission. And, uh, I know I'm eager to be part of it and I hope everyone listening has at least some level of eagerness and wants to know more and, and visit your site to learn more. So uh, thank you again, Jed, and thank you everyone for listening. Wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel, please subscribe, follow, like, share, whatever the magic of that platform is. Um, post a review, a comment. You can always reach out to me at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Always love to hear from you. 
And if you want to explore what life might be like for you with more authenticity, book a free clarity call with me. Visit theandygrant.com slash talk. And until next time, be good to yourself.